This is episode 373 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Tracking Footprints Like an Expert, 10 Things You Should Know. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Everyone, this episode is sponsored by my ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you'd like to get some more information, click on the link in the show notes or come on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we jump into our article of the podcast, there's a lot of things going on and I just feel like I want to talk about uh, a couple of things. So I hope you'll just kind of bear with me as I bounce around a little bit. Uh, the first thing that was uh, pretty significant is there was a, a 7.0 earthquake and it was downgraded to a 6.9 uh, in uh, Mount Rinjani. I believe that's how you say it. The, the thing is, is that it hit a volcano and uh, I mean, right on the volca- vo- volcano. And so, you know, they're like, hey, this is not something that we really want to start seeing all these volcanoes going off and uh, because that causes an environmental issue right and so uh, i went to go try to find a little bit more information about it because i I saw it come over my suspicious observer app i know i haven't talked about that in a long time but uh, actually I i changed some of the settings because it was going off all the time with the lower earthquakes and i'm just like you know what i just want to know i want to know the major ones and so i saw it go off yesterday and uh, there was a 7.0, like I said, in Indonesia, Mount Rinjani. And so the first thing that I, I did was I went over to the, the Facebook group, the Prepper Website Facebook group, because I've had the uh, the YouTube video, Suspicious Observers YouTube videos, automatically post over there, and I didn't see them. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I guess you know I haven't they haven't been going for some reason. So I went to go check what was going on. And I needed to reauth authenticate uh you know a setting or whatever but anyway so i went to suspicious observers uh and and went to go check it out and so sure enough he was talking about that he talked about um the kickoff like in the 13 13th century i believe and so i'm just kind of going from memory on his video um there was the little ice age kind of kicked off and, and they really pointed to something that happened a little bit past this but he said that there was uh you know low activity on this on the sun and and one of the things that really helped to kick it off was a big earthquake at Mount Rinjani. And so he's like, we really don't want to see that going on right now. So anyway, something to kind of keep our eyes open and peeled for. And uh, one of the things that I was reading uh, over at the Armstrong Economics, Martin Armstrong's blog, and he has, uh, he has an article called, Is the Climate Change Preparation for the Pole Shift? Now, a lot of the times you hear pole. I really haven't heard a lot about pole shift right now. Like when Doomsday Preppers was coming out, the the television show, people would say, "I'm preparing for a pole shift" or whatever, you know. And and people, you know, different people would say, you know, and really that was a bunch of junk. They just wanted you to pick something that they were that they were doing. And I'm sure people would always want to pick the you know a certain one, and they would say, "Ah, you need to pick something different." But anyway. Um, Really haven't heard too, too much about that, but I was reading here, and I just want to read a couple of paragraphs out of this article. I'm going to link to the article in the, in the show notes if you want to go check it out. So here, here it is. A reader sent this is where ice storms are happening daily this summer in Calgary. 
Canada. And I guess that was a picture that he was referring to. In Bavaria, where I am currently, it is the hottest in 200 years. The temperature is in the 90s or 32 degrees Celsius. And hotels, restaurants do not have air conditioning because it never gets hot here. Then in Ukraine, which is typically in the 90s for the summer, they are experiencing the coldest summer with temperatures in the 70s. In Greenland, birds migrate there for the summer to create offspring. This year, summer never came. Indeed, crops are failing around the world from either too much heat or too much cold. It appears that where it is normally hot, the climate is becoming cold. Where it is cold, it is becoming hot. All right, so, and it talks a little bit about, you know, uh, scientists are uh, beginning to wonder, you know, it's not global warming because global warming stays consistent. And this this is something that it, it just... It's kind of freaky the way that it's happening. Now, I'll tell you here in Houston, we are experiencing the typical hot temperatures. Maybe even sometimes people are even saying it it feels hotter. I don't know if it truly is hotter. Uh, It feels hotter. But uh, he was talking about the polar shift uh, here. And some are wondering if this is a prelude to the climate. To the climate is shifting thanks to a possible pole shift. And so the problem, no, the problems, nobody knows what that means. The last time the poles flipped was 720,000 years ago. So anyway, so he's talking a little bit about that. And then he's talked a little bit about uh, the volcanoes going off and how that changes uh, the global climate. And uh, especially when you have all these other ones going off and, uh, you know, talking about that and talked about when uh, the major eruption of Tambora created the year without a summer where it snowed in New York City in July. And so I don't know exactly what year that was, or I guess that would be an easy Google search or whatever. But, um, you know, it was very interesting because I I saw that video and uh, on on YouTube, uh, you know, from suspicious observers. I'm reading this here about, you know, the changes in climate and stuff like that and definitely i know that i'm seeing people on social media talk about how hot it is or you know how cold how it stayed cold longer than normal and uh, all that kind of stuff so um you know just again something to keep our eyes open and peeled for because you don't really hear about this stuff in the um in the mainstream media i mean they're talking about all the other stuff right if it's not about trump it's about some other stupid thing that's, that's going on. And uh, you never hear about stuff that can really impact things. And then I didn't re- see too much information on, I knew that there was going to be a protest in Portland, Oregon. really didn't see too much of it. I was kind of scanning Twitter on Saturday looking for any real uh, you know, reports and stuff like that. And I just really didn't see a lot coming. Maybe the, you know, the media just wasn't uh, reporting a lot. Maybe I'm not, because I, I don't follow a lot of individual people. And maybe that was part of the problem. But the Drudge Report had a couple of interesting articles. Um, the first one is from the Wall Street Journal. And it's, it's called Anarchy Breaks Out in Portland with the Mayor's Blessing. And uh, it talks a little bit about, and this was posted on August 3rd. So uh, I guess on Friday. And was talking about how uh, Antifa, you know, started to surround and people that were against ICE and, and and all that, you know, surrounding the federal building, and that was in June nineteenth. And basically, it was um, basically here. Let me go ahead and read uh, some of this stuff here. Um, signs called ICE employees Nazis and white supremacists. Others accused them of running a concentration camp and demanded open borders and prosecution of ICE agents. Along a wall, vandals wrote the names of ICE staff, encouraging others to publish their private information. 
And so, um, let's see, going down a little bit further, the reason these people were allowed to continue on, where were the police, question mark, right? ordered away by Democratic Mayor Ted Wheeler, who doubles as a police commissioner. And this is a quote. I do not want the Portland police to be engaged or sucked into a conflict, particularly from a federal agency that I believe in is on the wrong track, he tweeted. If, again, quote, if ICE is looking for a bailout from this mayor, they are looking in the wrong place. Now, the problem is that they set up a camp. And so when finally federal police came in, because the the city police weren't doing anything, when federal police finally came in, they kind of retreated back into this camp and really weren't allowing anybody in there. And the owner of the property was even kind of like beat up and not allowed to be in there. And when finally people went in there, they saw a lot of, uh, there was a lot of defecation. Uh, there was uh, a lot of needles. They, you know, it was... Um, uh, you know, peeing all over the place. They just really made this place a, a total dump. And, uh, you know, people had to clean that up afterwards. Uh, I think every, like, United States flag that was there was, uh, you know, dishonored in some way. But, of course, the communist flags and the Antifa flags, they were fine and they were flying well, with no problem. And, of course, they, they definitely, they were not dishonored at all. The problem is, is that when these guys come in, not only do they protest against the uh, you know the federal government, the ICE uh, offices or whatever, they terrorize everybody else. And so there was you know specific information here about people who had food carts and stuff like that that were terrorized and had to shut them down. And and like I said, uh, you know neighbors who were uh, or the person who owned the property, you know he was basically kind of beat up and, and told to, to leave. People who were uh, were residents that were like, hey, can you keep, I mean, because they were there for like 19 days. And like, hey, can you keep down the, uh, the the noise and stuff like that? One person was taken out of their wheelchair and lifted high above the air and, and all of this kind of stuff. So, I mean, are you, are you kidding me? You know how, and the thing is that this is in Portland, Oregon, right? I don't know, this definitely um, I don't, it would not have gone on. I mean, I just don't see the police allowing this. I know when there was protest and, they were talking about um, the Ferguson protests, and there was little protests going on all over the country. I know that when uh, they set up the protest here in Houston, the police, police were ready, and they showed them. They were ready to bust some heads. And so I, I just don't know. I mean, this police chief right here, or the mayor who is acting as the police chief as well, he wasn't protecting his citizens. It's one thing to allow people to protest and like, okay, fine, you protest, but you know, allowing other people to harm other people's property, right? So it's like, we're not going to go ahead and, and do anything about that. And then protecting all the rest of the people. I mean, the, the person that was in a wheelchair and was lifted high in the, in the air, they were, um, they called the police and they took a statement, but they didn't do anything. So when you have these politicians that are just allowing people to do whatever they want. They're not, you know, putting any limits or anything like that. Yeah, it's going to get way out of control. And my question is, how long until people get tired of it, right? How long until people finally get tired of it and they start responding and start reacting and start taking matters into their own hand? Well, so I was talking about the 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 protest that happened on Saturday, August 4th in Portland. And so there was uh, information here. So this article comes from the Gateway Pundit. Uh, again, these were linked on Drudge Report. 
Uh, beatings and blood in Portland. Trump supporter clubbed. Blood gushing from head. And so, you know, it just talks a little bit about that. Now, the police were involved here and were disarming people. Were I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of crazy that you even have to, to think that way. You know, when you have protests and people are protesting like, okay, you have one side and you have the other. But here, they were like you know checking people like hey you know like when you go into uh you know to a, a football game or whatever or you're you're taking the tsa you know you're like getting on an airplane let's pat you down let's look at what kind of uh you know weapons you're bringing in here but even with that people were being harmed and and stuff and they finally uh called it a riot and so they can you know disperse everyone but again you know, this was the, know, what were the names of the, the groups here? I mean, we've already, I've already talked about these, the Patriot Prayer Group and, uh, you know, Trump supporting Patriot Prayer Group. And uh, I think there was another group that was involved. They're not listed here in this article here. Um, but again, how long before it gets out of control and, and people uh, start to fight back? Now, again, Portland, Oregon, you know that there's a lot of things, you know, very left, uh, leaning over there, but you know, it's, it's eventually it's going to spill over and it is going to cause some problems and people are going to start to get really upset about this. And one of the reasons, I guess this is all fresh in my mind because I recently finished listening to, uh, Mark Goodwin's second book, Ava's Ava, uh, the Chronicles. I, I can't even remember the name of it, but anyway, it's Ava and it's basically, talking about, you know, this, um, you know, a civil war, you know, American civil war that is going on. And uh, in it, you know, Antifa plays a a very big, big role in it. And uh, it just so happened that as I was getting prepared for the, uh, the podcast and reading these articles and everything that I'm on Facebook and I see a, it's kind of like a compilation of videos of Antifa. And it, it just, man, it, it really was almost like out of the, out of the book. I mean, and and I know that you know Mark wrote these books. Uh, you, you know, just recently, this compilation was stuff that had been happening. But you know, then also you have the stuff that happened this Saturday, and it just wow, it's it's just really eerie where it, it possibly can go. And that's one reason why we 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 prepare. That's one reason why we stay aware. That situational awareness is so so desperate uh, nowadays, not only to protect you and protect your family from just the craziness that goes on there, just the everyday life. But when things like this start ramping up, I mean, you watch the, you're, you're watching the signs and do the signs start to, you know, get your spidey senses going. So anyway, I did share that video on uh, the Prepper website Facebook group if you want to see it because it just shows these guys, Antifa guys, that they're all, you know, clad in black and they they got masks on and all that kind of stuff. And they just, you know, they're destroying things and, and they're just being allowed to do it. And a lot of it was not necessarily here. I think they talked a little bit about Berkey or showed a little bit about Berkey, um, uh, Berkey College or whatever, you know, when they were burning uh, some places in Berkey. But a lot of it was in Canada and other places in Germany and other places around the world, really kind of stating that this is something that's just not localized to the United States. This is not something that's just localized to a certain part of the of the country. This is something that's going on all over the place, right? And so, again, 
you can see how easy it would get to the point where people would start to get really, really fed up with this. And it's like, hey, I'm tired of this. This is, you know, if you're a business owner, this is costing me money. If you are, you know, you live in an area, you can be, you know, you're scared to come out and you are afraid for your life. And, and, and maybe you, and maybe you want to make sure that your family is protected and, and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, just wanted to just throw that out there again and, and just re- remind everyone, guys, you need to stay aware. Stay aware of what, stay aware of what is going on around you. But not only that, of what is happening, the, just the overall temperature in this country and, and where people are going because eventually it can start to catch on pretty quickly, right? Right now, things seem to be oh, pretty decent as far as the economy is going, at least when we're looking at numbers and job growth and you have numbers, all that kind of stuff coming out. Um, I have my, my ideas on, on why that is happening. But you, you, have, you have that. In, for right now, I guess people can be, you know, people are all right with, with uh, okay, that's happening in Portland, Oregon. You know, I live over here in this part of the country and that's not really affecting me. But very easily, if things start to turn negative, if things start to not be, you know, your, your money is not buying everything you need and you start to get frustrated and people are, you know, at, at fever's pitch all over the place, which in, in reality, I want to say, I think that's already happening, but there's still a little bit of civility out there. There's still a thin layer of civility out there. I mean, you just get on social media and you see how crazy things can get right away. Um, you know, with just people posting about uh, something, something simple, something that it just doesn't even affect politics. But someone says something about politics or Democrat or Republican or Trump or whatever, and it goes south very, very quickly. And so I think it's already there. It's already at a fever pitch. It's just we have this very thin veneer of civility still out there. And uh, that's why we need to make sure that we are keeping our eyes open and keeping uh, ourselves aware of what is happening. All right, guys, I'm going to link to all of those things um, in the uh, in the in the show notes. And so you can go and check those out if you want. And hopefully I fix uh, the feeds over to the Facebook group. So Suspicious Observer will start popping up for you over there. And uh, if you are interested in earthquakes and the solar, uh, you know, what, what solar flares are popping out and all that kind of stuff, I do recommend getting his uh, his app. I think it's only like $3.99 uh, that you can purchase at the, you know, in uh, on the Google Play Store or whatever. And uh, I truly believe it's worth it because he can communicate very quickly through that. All right, so uh, with all of that, let's go ahead and jump into our article of, uh, of the podcast. It comes to us from theprepping.guide.com. And again, the article was entitled Tracking Footprints Like an Expert, 10 Things You Should Know. Let's go ahead and jump into this one. Tracking is not all about the footprint. Tracking is the art of interpreting the indirect signs left by other animals, whether it is by humans, mammals, or birds. Knowing how to track in the wild will let us know a lot of important details about those tracks, such as where they are going and what is what it is that left them behind. More importantly, knowing the basics of tracking will help you either catch what left those tracks if you are hunting it, avoid it if you are in a conflict situation, or to find it in a search and rescue situation. So let's take a look at 10 things you should know about how to track in the wild. Number one is foot impressions without footprints. It is easy to think of tracking as just following nice, clear, cartoon-style footprints to catch up with the bad guys or to track an animal until you find it. 
In actual fact, if you spend any significant amount of time tracking, you will be relying on signs much more subtle than footprints. Your feet or an animal's feet only leave those typical footprints in snow, wet sand, and soft mud. You will need to be more observant and look for other things than just footprints if you want to track your subject. Perhaps leaf litter covers a surface that will take a print and you will be able to look underneath it to find your print. But you can spot those by looking for telltale signs amongst the leaves such as small depressions or wet leaves that have been turned over by the passage of an animal to show the dry undersurface. This is true on gravel and stony ground too. Stones can be moved to leave the depressions underneath fresh and new or rolled over to show a wet or dry surface underneath or or pressed further into soft ground by the pressure of a foot. Material from one surface can be transferred to another such as on the sole of a shoe or on an animal's foot, wet sand onto dry mud, water onto rock, or soil and stones onto grass. You need to be open to all of these signs left by the passage of a human or animal if you are going to get good at tracking. Another disturbance to the ground that is often seen is this one below. In these situations, grass has been fractured and broken due to someone or something walking through it. These tracks will only last for about a day until the grass has regenerated but are great as they easily indicate the direction of travel. So anyway, it's kind of like a field of grass and you can see where an animal has been walking alongside. So you can see the the, the depression there as the grass has kind of been moved away. All right, so number two, what do the footprints mean? If you are lucky enough to find distinct footprints, what can you learn from them? They might tell you how fast something is moving, in what direction it is going, how large it is. If you are tracking animals, you can learn what species it is from a footprint. The number of things you can tell from a footprint will vary depending on the quality of the print and the ground it is made on. But a few general rules to do with this are people and animals that are running leave tracks which are generally deeper at the front than at the back. If something is moving very fast or beginning a jump, often only the front portion of the track will be visible but will be accompanied by a hump at the back of the track. Landing from a jump often leaves quite deep prints that are more distinct in certain areas. For example, the print left from someone vaulting over a fence or a gate might be particularly prominent along one edge of the footprint as this touched the ground first and most forcefully. Similarly, with animals, deer often leave very deep prints on soft ground if they have jumped over something, but those prints will be significantly deeper at the front than the back. Rapid changes of direction will leave a pressure hump or bulb on the opposite side of the track to the direction change. Of course, there are links, or not links here, but uh, pictures here that you can uh, check out. Number three is tracking isn't just about footprints. Footprints aren't all that is going to be useful to the tracker. As often as we follow footprints, we refer to other signs as well, such as droppings, feeding signs, disturbed vegetation, local bird calls, and animal behavior if we are tracking animals. The same signs can also be true of humans. You may have to track someone who is lost or use your tracking skills to avoid other people in the wilderness. For an animal, you may look for signs of feeding from vegetation or the sight of a kill a predatory bird or mammal has made. When tracking humans, you are more likely to be looking for litter, discarded apple cores, scraps, or the sight of a fire as a sign of their presence. Additionally, where footprints may not be obvious, 
game trails might provide a general idea of the presence and path taken by animals and a few features of these trails can help us to identify what's used them. Foxes, for example, leave very narrow trails as they stalk along carefully with one foot in front of another. Badgers, on the other hand, leave much wider trails and will often transfer mud and other material onto those runs with their large bellies. That's not to say a fox won't use a badger's run, but a fox run that is exclusively used by foxes can be easily identified. Number four, animal droppings. As unpleasant as it sounds, droppings can be very useful in identifying the species you are tracking and allow you to make a decision about whether or not to continue your pursuit or what method of catching that animal you might employ if it is your intention to make a meal of what you are catching. For example, coming across bear or big cat droppings might cause you to break off following that trail and seek safety rather than pursue a hunt in a survival situation. Whereas finding deer droppings instead of rabbit droppings on your trail might make you reassess the suitability of your slingshot as a hunting tool in the situation. Do not discount the importance of looking at droppings. It is easy to gauge the size of a herd of deer, for example, from the droppings left and the age makeup of the deer in the herd with a little practice. In fact, deer populations are often surveyed by ecologists using a method called fecal accumulation counting. So a lot of useful information can be gained just from droppings. Number five, interpreting feed signs. While people may leave litter behind, animal feeding signs are much more subtle. Predators may leave the signs of a kill, such as a plucked bird with the breast meat eaten, which may be the work of a bird of prey, such as a sparrowhawk. If it is left where it is, it would likely be a male rather than a female, as the males are smaller and less likely to carry prey away. Foxes and other small mammal predators are more likely to carry away their prey, unless disturbed, in which case... Feathers which are bitten off or ripped out in clumps are a good sign compared to individually plucked feathers which are bent by being gripped in a bird's beak. Even if a fox has carried off its prey, clumps of fur, feathers, and blood, as well as disturbed grass and signs of struggle, are good signs to follow. Herbivores leave food signs too. Nibbled vegetation and the height it has been eaten at can tell us a lot. Vegetation that has been eaten above about 1.5 meters height in Europe or North America is likely caused by large deer or cattle. Lower feeding signs could also be those larger herbivores but can be distinguished from the feeding signs of small lagomorphs such as rabbits from the tooth pattern. Deer, for example, only have lower incisors which bite against a gristly pad in the top jaw. When they bite into something, there will only be teeth marks at the lower portion of the bite mark and the top portion will be frayed and torn. Rabbits and other small herbivores have opposing sets of incisors so the bites will be cleaner as as if cut with scissors. Again, using the method ecologists survey for many species. Number six, following a trail. Spotting and interpreting tracks is one thing, but following them requires a bit more complex thinking. Sometimes game trails are easy to follow if they are used regularly, but how about the challenges of spotting your target against the many other tracks or spotting where something leaves a trail or whether a trail disappears into water or impenetrable undergrowth? How can you find it on the other side? Let's face it, sometimes it will be impossible. Sometimes it's not coming out on the other side of the bramble patch because it lives in there. 
but that may mean you have just found its burrow or laying up point and now just need to wait for it to reappear. If you do lose a trail or need to catch up with the person or animal you are tracking, to speed things up, you can work in teams to leapfrog ahead and find tracks further ahead, leaving one team team member to follow the trail without losing it, while others rush ahead to pick it up further ahead, and then everyone moves to the furthest point along the trail and fans out again from there. You can also make educated guesses about where the trail might go and move on, hoping to pick up the trail further ahead, Having a detailed knowledge of wildlife behavior is useful in these situations, and knowing the ground you are tracking on is a massive benefit too. Number seven, aging tracks. Tracks change with time, and it will eventually soften to nothing as the ground they are formed in dries out or is flattened by the rain. Droppings degrade, and predator kills are scavenged by carrion feeders. There are no hard and fast rules as environmental factors will determine how fast droppings break down, The amount of rain will determine how quickly footprints fill with water or are washed away, and the presence of scavengers will determine how quickly kills are dragged off or scavenged to the point where the clues you are looking for, nothing short of invisible. A few general rules for aging tracks are, fresh tracks in firm ground will look sharp and clear as the action of rain, wind, sun, and other environmental factors work on the track, they will become less distinct. Very soft ground speeds this process up considerably and a track a few minutes old might already be indistinct in soft and damp ground. Droppings tend to dry out over time, but you can be tricked by dew or high humidity as they will retain moisture longer or be moistened. Even in wetter areas though, or after a heavy dew, older droppings can be broken apart to show drier material inside if they have been drying for some time. Leaves and vegetation that have been freshly fed from will still look fresh, but after some time, bark will discolor, and the nibbled leaves and stems will suffer, which will make that sign obvious. Trees or tree branches, which have had the bark eaten all the way around, for example, will still look relatively fresh and lush at the first, but over the course of a few days, will start to wilt and die. Number 8. Tracks and Snow Snow is often thought of to be a fantastic medium for tracking, and sometimes it is when it's relatively shallow. As soon as it is much deeper than mid-calf, tracks become indistinct and appear as just a trench in the snow. To determine what you are following, look for the compacted snow at the bottom of the tracks for boot prints, hoof prints, or other clues. The width of a trail will also give you an idea of what or how many there are of what it is you are tracking. Other clues such as droppings and feeding signs along the way will also help. Snow will also catch signs that no other medium can like the feather marks of a bird landing or taking off or its tail dragging behind it as it walks through the snow. Number 9. Tracking birds on the ground. As birds can fly, they can be difficult to track, but a lot of the birds that might be sought after in a survival situation either spend a lot of time on the ground or can easily be spotted from the ground using your tracking skills. Pheasants and other ground-nesting game birds will leave distinct and easy-to-follow game trails to and from water in their nest. The roosts or pigeons can be easily spotted by the accumulation of droppings underneath them, and then it is a simple case of lying in wait with a snare or a pole to catch them if the situation warrants it. As well as birds, which spend a lot of time on the ground being relatively easy to track, birds can help you with your tracking as they react to the presence of other animals and humans. For example, alarm calls of birds can alert you to the presence and approximate location of a predator or human, for example. 
or if there is a large predator that is unnaturally marking a lot of disturbance to the area, you will likely see birds from trees flying away from that direction. In most cases, this would be a sign of a human or a group of people. And number 10, tracking humans. You might need to track someone in a search and rescue situation or as part of law enforcement duties. Luckily, humans leave plenty of evidence of their passing unless they are very skilled and careful and don't want to be found. So tracking a human should be much easier than tracking an animal that is native to that area. A starting point is to look for footprints or shoe prints. Broken vegetation is something you can normally always follow and is the simplest and easiest path ahead as people don't want to slog through bramble patches or up sheer rock faces and will almost always follow the path of least resistance. Remember that and it should help you with your tracking. So for ways of covering your tracks and hiding from people, I suggest you read our post on the U.S. Military Series School, Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. There is a lot of very valuable information in that post as well as this post and combined with our other posts on Survival Outdoors will surely help you survive any situation. Following these few tracking tips should help, but remember nothing beats practice and a few field guides to help you learn to identify footprints, droppings, and other signs. All right, guys, so there was a link there to that uh to that article that they were referencing there. And then a lot of great art, you know, a, gr- a lot of great pictures. I mean, um, that are referenced are, are that are referencing, I guess the subject that is being talked about in the number, right? So, uh, basically when you're talking about, you know, following a trail or he's talking about the birds, there's some good pictures here that you can, uh, check out and get some ideas of what he's talking about, uh, in this article. So a good one there, you know, putting a little bit of this knowledge in the back of your head. If it's not something that you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm outdoors all the time. This is not something that I really need, uh, to, to know, but, you know, even tracking, um, you know, I know my son, when they went hunting and, and the, the, the deer that he shot, you know, it did trail off a little bit. And so, you know, they had to track the blood and they had to, to, to find that. And so being able to have eyes to do that. And then, you know, if it is, uh, you know, starting to get a little bit darker, you want to have good flashlights to be able to, to see, you know, where, where things are going. So, um, you know, you want, you want to have a little bit of this knowledge, at least if this not something that you are, like I said, out there and you are in the woods a lot, having a little bit of the knowledge in the back of your mind is, is, is good to know and uh, is helpful. So guys, that's over at theprepperingguide.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can go check it out, check out some of these pictures and the link for you there. Well, all right, everyone, that is it for episode 373. Thanks for starting out your week with me. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to the Prepper website, podcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.